sister <laughs> and i'm gabby dunn i'm a writer bi bisexual icon wink and uh a, you know presidential candidate for 2020 don't do that why don't false advertise well how do you know people wouldn't vote for me maybe i'm a write-in candidate but that's bullshit because that's gonna divide the vote you're right we have to be a united frontier supporting elizabeth warren i'm running as a republican This is Just Between Us, a podcast about brutal honesty, female friendship, and completely unsolicited advice. How's it going? Uh, I'm okay. How are you? Oh, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I'm like... Well, good talk. (laughs) I just like... uh, I guess I'm a little annoyed because you kept asking me questions about something I said I wanted to talk about later. What? Just like an email. Oh! So sometimes it's hard because, like, we'll start off and, like, something will annoy me and then I have to, like, be on immediately. You're also a little sick. Yeah. But, uh, so I'm, like, you know, I'm I'm making my way back to my best self. Are you sleeping enough? Oh, I sleep all the time. Oh, okay. Because I, I'm terrible sleeper. Yeah. Terrible sleeper. How am I up at 2.30 and 5.30? What's happening? Do you take melatonin? No, I was thinking of maybe, I mean, I take, like, um... My anti-anxiety medications uh-huh. and the benzos. And I think I, I also have done, like, edibles to sleep. And but I would help? Yeah. But they have crazy dreams. So what? Yeah, I have true. crazy dreams all the time. Really? What's your craziest dream? Well, I just have a consistent theme to my dreams where I'm screaming at everybody. Whoa! Like, I'm very mean in my dreams. I'm very angry. Are I you lash- lashing out I'm, there in, yes. because you can't do it in real life? Yeah, I think so. Terrifying. I know. I'm like, I'm like my worst self in my dreams. Wow. Constantly and consistently. Do you wake up and think it's real ever? Sometimes, yeah. I also all the time dream that uh, that my boyfriend's left me <gasps> or that, like, my love interest in the dream has left me and I wake up thinking I'm alone. Oh, my God. And then I have to be like, oh, no, I'm actually in a loving relationship. Whoa. I <laughs> What's have, that about? I mean, that's that's fear coming through. I guess so. Or you're cleansing out your, your toxic thoughts from your brain in your sleep, you know? That's what you're supposedly doing. I think that that's great, though, because then they're out. That's true. Yeah, no, yeah. It's like when you pee out um, like toxins or whatever. Yeah, I'm just pissing out my worst thoughts when yeah. I'm asleep. I have a reoccurring dream that I pull my own teeth out. Oh, really? And and it said that um, anxiety or like fear or whatever is is when you fear of the future is when like your teeth fall out and you're you're sort of not in control of it. Like your teeth just fall out in dreams. But I have ones where I sit because I've looked it up. What does it mean? And I sit and I methodically pull my own teeth out. So in in mine, it's like anxiety, but it's like self-caused anxiety. Like or self- you are just so obsessed with being in control. Yeah, self-sabotage. You to, yeah, you have if, to If things are going to fall apart, I'm the one doing it. <laughs> Isn't that fucked up? My recurring dream is that I have an endless amount of contacts in my eyes and <gasps> I can't see. And you I'm, told me this. Yeah, and I'm just constantly trying to pull the contacts out and there's more and there's more and then sometimes also my arms can't move. Whoa! Anyway, dreams mean nothing. I That's hope. not true. <laughs> Please hope. write in and tell us what our dreams mean. <laughs> I told my therapist that contact one and she was like, whoa. <laughs> 
It's always good when your therapist says, oh, no. I love to make Sherry put her head in her hands. That's yeah. when I know I'm having a good session. Yeah. <laughs> that's really rough. Uh, speaking of uh, issues and therapists, we have a new book coming out. Oh, yeah. It's called Please Send Help. It comes out July 16th. And it's, you know, it's a young adult novel loosely based on us uh, as characters, but a younger version of us. Yeah, 22. Uh, they're just out of college, and they're trying to figure out their lives post-college. And uh, we're 30 and 31 and trying to figure out our lives post-college. Yeah, we're really, uh, we're really channeling it through these characters. But it's a sequel to I Hate Everyone But You, which was our New York Times bestseller from 2017. Um, we're so lucky that we got to do a second one. Um, and, like, it's just, like, what a dream, you know, that you, you have one book come out, and you're like, that's incredible. And then you get to write a sequel? And you're like, fuck, I have to write another book. Well, that's part of it. Books are long. Anyway, (laughs) we have an excellent, excellent episode uh, this week. I have never been more excited for a guest. Our guest today is Ruth Raskin, my mother. Best known from the episode of our YouTube show where Allison forgot her birthday. Oh, yes. I, I have forgotten my mom's birthday multiple times. And people now have it marked in their calendars. Thank you for that. I also want to disclose something. Uh, we are recording the interview with my mom at a different date than we are recording what we're talking about right now. So if, I don't know, I sound less congested at that time. <laughs> That's why. Because uh, my mom is coming in for my 30th birthday. So we're taking the opportunity while she's in town to talk to her. Um, but it's an excellent episode. We're also going to be talking about weddings. Why uh, we love them. What we hate about them. What ours should look like. Yeah, if you could tell, I picked that topic. I know. Gabby could be less enthused. <laughs> I, have, I mean, I have thoughts. I think I really cared about it when I was in a relationship, and now I'm, I'm just like, I don't know. But first, hit it! International question! International question! International question! Louisa, Brazil, and the USA. Nice. Originally from Brazil... Now living in the USA. Again, another amazing listener where she summarized her question and then gave more context. How early is too early to move in with a partner? Oof. And her context. My girlfriend, 20, and I, 19, already red flags, go to the same (laughs) college. And just for the summer, I went home. For me, home is very triggering from being in the closet in high school and the long depressive episodes. My parents told me recently that if I pay for the rent, I can go back home where school and the girlfriend are for the last month before school starts again. I mentioned this to my girlfriend and she said that maybe we could share her room in her house. We have only been dating roughly two months. Think lesbian time, not regular time. I get it. But have also been friends much longer. I've stayed at her house for weeks at a time before and this would only be for a month. I just don't want to mess up anything in the relationship. I know the question is different than my specific situation, but would love to hear your thoughts on both. Well, I like that this has a, a time limit. Yeah, so I think we should do this in a this is a two parter. One, uh, Louisa's specific situation, and uh-huh. then two, the question in general. For your situation, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. Yeah, if it's just for a month, I think it's fine. I think that sometimes you have to bend the rules of what's like maybe traditionally healthier to get out of toxic situations absolutely and so it seems like staying at home with your parents is not ideal Mm -hmm. and not something uh that you want to do and you would much rather be closer to school and closer to your girlfriend and if you can save money for a month and live with your girlfriend why not yeah as long as there's like a you know an out and it's not like you're doing this for the rest of your lives 
I think that's fine. And also, uh, knowing that it's like a limited amount of time, you can treat it more like a vacation. Yeah. Like it's like a little staycation with your girlfriend versus like, okay, we're moving in together. This is our shared space. Yeah. We have to figure out who has what closet and what yeah. goes where and what kind of home we want to create together. Like none of that really happens in a one month stint at your girlfriend's parents' house. <laughs> I think um, she like – it's going to be the girlfriend's space. So you just have to be aware that you're in her space. Yes. So and it's not her like, home. Yeah. So it's not like you can take her posters down. It's not like you can, like, tell her what to do with the space. Um, you know, you have to be mindful. Like, I think you you should be a little helpful. Like, don't leave your messy clothes around. Don't – you know what I mean? Like, I think you have to be a little bit more careful of how you're living versus, like, if it was just your garbage home. I don't think it's a bad idea at all. I do understand. So I want to explain lesbian time for our straight listeners. Um – Lesbian time is when you uh, – the, the stereotype is that when two uh, women meet, they tend to move faster in their relationship than straight people would. And why do you think that is? The stereotype is that, uh, you know, the woman is always pushing the relationship forward and the guy is always keeping it uh, at a steady pace. And so the idea – steady or dead pace. Or dead pace. <laughs> and so the idea is that when two women get together, they're always ready to move forward. Um, and so it happens faster. It's kind of a damaging stereotype. It's like where that whole U-Haul lesbian comes from where they're like ready to get married and move in after like two seconds. Uh, and also like it doesn't factor in the, all the stuff where it's like my grandparents met after two days and then got married, the war or whatever people say. <laughs> so like I get it, but I do understand that it, it is it is a real thing that does happen. Yeah, so I think, you know, you, this is someone who's been your friend. You're now in a romantic relationship. It's a set amount of time. Go for it. Mm-hmm. So maybe now we can move on to moving in in general. Yeah. Because I, I'm i currently uh, trying to figure out the answer to that. And I've never done that. Right. So I'm, I have done that. Yeah. At 23, I moved in with my boyfriend of, at the time, like two plus years. Yeah. And, and people would say that that's, oh, that's good. That's two years. That's great. But- I should never have done it. Because you were too young in general? Uh, I was too young and it was not the right relationship. And I think a large part of why I did it was because I like kind of wanted a nicer place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I was like, oh, this will get me out of like my carpeted one bedroom in Silver Lake mm-hmm. and like, you know, into Hancock Park adjacent. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that I was like obsessed with the idea of living with a boyfriend and like – the aesthetics of that and not the reality of like spending every single night and day with this person yeah and also at the time we were not seeing each other that much before that like we never had sleepovers oh you didn't no because i'm not i don't know i can't exactly remember who started this but both of us were like temperamental sleepers or for whatever reason like we almost never slept over and so going from pretty much like zero to 100 was a huge shock to both of our systems, I think. You never slept over before you moved in together? I mean, we had traveled together and we had like in theory spent nights together, but we were not – it was not like, oh, it's not that big of a difference because we spend most yeah. nights together anyway. It was a dramatic difference. Wow. <laughs> and so for me, I was really uh, – it was – Getting out of that situation, even though that guy was so wonderful and made it as easy for me as possible, where literally, like, when we had the conversation that we were done, 
uh, which was like very heartfelt and no anger, just sadness and, mm-hmm. you know, love. Uh, I like went to go to an audition and to like go right with my friend. And by the time I came back home, he had left. Yeah. So he like literally made it as, you know, it wasn't like weeks of living together being broken up. Like it was oh. a very clean break. Uh, and it was still the hardest, most traumatizing romantic issue of my life. Like yeah. choosing to leave when you live with someone is so hard. Yes. So I have always been really conflicted about ever doing it again without being engaged first. Mm. Interesting. Because I don't want to be half in anymore. Yeah. Like if I'm going to live with someone again, then I want to be like, I'm done. This is this is it. And be like fully confident in that. Mm-hmm. And the idea of living together as a like test period feels uh, horrifying to me mm. and like an unnecessary asking for unnecessary pain and turbulence. We know a lot of couples that live together that are not right for each other and are never going to get, I mean, like, and I'm talking about people who want to get married. Yes. And are never going to get there. But they just stay stagnant because they live together. Or maybe they will because that's like, I guess, now what do we, you know, we've wasted seven years of our lives. Like, what do we do? I hate that. So I think that there's, that's why I'm very much like, do not move in with someone unless you feel as confident as one can feel that this is your person. Yeah, or that you're going to be with them, like, long term. Long term. Whatever that means right. to you. Right, doesn't mean, necessarily mean marriage, yeah. but, like, you know, like, this is, your future is going to be with them. Yeah. And it's not, and you're not doing it to save money. You're not doing it to, like, test out the waters. Oh, do not move in to save money. That's... For long term, short term, like, Louisa, okay, but long term... That's really bad news. And that happens so much. When I was in New York, that would happen all the time. Absolutely. And then when you break up, a lot of these people have to stay in the same place because they can't afford to move out. Yep. I have a lot of friends like that. And it sucks. And also, like, I've had friends that moved in with partners and then the partner was, like, abusive, either, like, financially or, like, or just, like, emotionally or physically abusive. And then they don't have the money to move out. Right. And, and they're so trapped. trapped. Yeah. And it's really, really, really scary. Um, money is, like, a huge problem with moving in. I also think that, like, it makes you complacent. So if you're in a relationship that's, like, okay, and, like, maybe if you didn't live together, you'd probably, like, break up. Mm. The idea of breaking up when you live with someone is so overwhelming and, yeah. like, completely uproots your life that you're most likely going to stay in it Yeah, where maybe you wouldn't in a different situation. I've never lived with a romantic partner in the sense that it was just us in the house. Right. Or as an adult. Yeah. And, I, and I've and i talked about it with certain people. Like, I've talked about it with, like, my ex-girlfriend and I talked about it but a lot. But let me tell you something. I think the fact that you guys would talk about it and it was so wishy-washy and one day it would be yes, one day it would be no was a sign that the relationship wasn't good. Or oh, that yeah. it wasn't going to last. Yeah. And I, I, I think I thought of it in the way of like having a kid where I was like, well, if we move in together, this will um, fix our problems. <laughs> <laughs> but like that to me, like even the conversations you guys had about moving in were, was a red flag to me at the time. Yeah, because we were using it to fix our problems. Or no, just that. That, that it was that back per- and forth. Yeah, that that person was always like one foot in, one foot out. Yeah. Like unable to actually plan for the future in any real way. 
Yeah, I think I was in a different place where I was, like, ready to be like, okay, like, yeah, let's move in. Like, we have this dog. Like, you know, we're kind of whatever. And I think to them it was like a sort of domestic fantasy. And so I have a lot of strong thoughts about timelines in terms of moving together, even though who knows. I think it's very uh, dependent on what stage in your life you're in. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think this about uh, deciding to get married as well. Because mm. to me, honestly, moving in together, if marriage is your goal, moving in together is basically getting married. It is it is the biggest change to your life that will happen. Like I think moving in together is, is more... Is bigger. Like, when I see couples that aren't married and they buy a house together, I'm like, okay, that's your commitment. You know, right. like, it depends on... It's not necessarily marriage, but it depends on your commitment level and definition of commitment. But, like, moving in together is... A huge commitment. Like, that is even the if biggest you, change to your day-to-day life. Yeah, even if you're, like, never going to get engaged and you, you don't want to do marriage, right. like, moving in together is huge. Absolutely. And so for me, when you're younger, I think more time makes sense just because you're changing, you're growing, you're not totally sure who you are yet. So if you, like, move in together really quickly when you're young, like, there's going to be a lot of change happening both internally and in the, as the, in the relationship too. Mm-hmm. But I think as you get older, I think that you just get – you have a better sense of who you are mm-hmm. and, like, what you want. Mm-hmm. So, to me, if, like, two 24-year-olds are, like, get engaged after eight months and move in together, mm-hmm. I'm going to be like, uh-oh, you probably don't know each other that well. Yeah. But if two 40-year-olds meet each other and get engaged oh. after eight months, I'm like, great. Yeah, because they they know themselves better. They know better. themselves better, and they have had more experience to know what does and doesn't work. It also depends. I, I just hung out with two friends of mine uh, who are quite young. One's like a trans guy who's 23 and, and his girlfriend is um, 21 and, and queer and they're they're very young. But neither of them went to college and they're very mature and they like have had these like really intense life experiences that I think have aged them a bit. And so they live together and they're like talking, like chatting about like, oh, you know, like maybe we're looking into buying a house, whatever, because they both have stable careers. And I was like, it's interesting because – I'm not in a place where I feel like I could do that, but I don't think you guys, that's crazy. Like, yeah, I, it's also person to like person. It's per, like, it was really like, how established are you in your career? Like, the guy was saying, like, I'm 23, but I see people who are 23 who get out of college and who are like, I don't know how to be an adult. Right. And he was like, I've been an adult since I was like 20. Yeah. So it really depends but on- But also that's three years. That's not yes. that long. <laughs> no, it, it, it isn't. But I was just like, oh, wow. I, I didn't feel like I was in the place that this kid I view as a kid was in. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, I I couldn't move in with someone right now. But, but I don't also, know. when I was fucking 23, I thought the same thing that this kid is saying right now. It's true. But I, was I like, also wasn't in the... When I was 23, I didn't have my own money. I didn't have, like, stability. I hadn't gone through stuff. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I wasn't, like, that type of person. But I also... Um, now I wonder if I'll, like, ever live with someone. You will. I don't know that I will. I'm getting very set in my space and my ways. <laughs> That's not true because you just moved. It's not like you've lived in your place no, for, like, but years and years. I'm saying I'm getting set in, like, how I do things, how I want things to be. Am I going to flip out if someone leaves a cup somewhere? That'd be weird. But I'm just saying, like, because I also think if I'm – because I have all so much stuff that's my stuff – I feel like if I moved in with someone, I would ha- it would have to be that we got a new place. I think that's the best and it way was to do even. it. Our stuff was even. That's because the healthiest way to do it. If someone moved in with me right now, I mean, I'm. I, it's just like movie posters and fucking tchotchkes and like my shit. 
unless one person's place is like so, so much, much better, better and rent controlled and for whatever reason, I think the healthiest way to do it is to get a new place and create that space together. Start over together. I had this belief since I was 23 that I would never move in together with, I would never move in with someone unless I was engaged. But my current boyfriend uh, strongly disagrees with that. Ha! And for him, he's like, I can't go from, like, living with two roommates to, like, the next day being engaged. That's what I mean. That's, like, where you're at, like, you know? Because you've lived by yourself. Like, you've kind of had, like, this adult alone existence. Yeah, but, like, he he would want to live together before getting engaged. I know. So he can experience the adult thing that you've experienced. But my thing about that is, is, like, I was like, oh, I don't want to view that as, like, a trial period. Mm. We're like, okay, let's see if this works. And no, then that if is it the commitment. works, like, then we'll get engaged. Yeah. So I, I've had to make it very clear that, like, yes, it's, like, there can be a period of time where we're living together and not engaged. But the expectation is that we will get engaged and with, and not, like, in the next five to ten years, like, within six to, months to a year. Okay. And you guys make that clear to each other. Right. And so that, for me, is, like, what makes me feel comfortable. Got it. So I think it's really important to, like, to talk to your partner about your expectations, about why you're choosing now to move in. Why are you moving in? Why are you moving in? What does that look like? If you do want to get married, what is the timeline for that? Mm -hmm. And uh, and then it's not – it's not an ultimatum if it's something that you're just, like, discussing and saying this is what will make me feel comfortable and, and happy in this situation. Yeah. Because the thing is, is, like, if if they don't agree to that timeline, then it's just not time to move in together yet. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you have to break up. Yeah. It just means you're not necessarily walking at the same pace. Yeah. Can you get married and never live together? Sure. I just don't – I my, my future feels so up in the air. I have no idea. Like, I I – you know, I'm 31. I'm like ostensibly single, and I'm like, okay, wh- like what? What is? What's going? What's going to be the? F- am I going to live alone forever? Like, is that fine? And, and is that okay to me? Like, am I fine with that? Like, I'm sort of have this like I, I I'm like reevaluating uh, my future heavily, and I like you know I had someone staying with me in my house, um, and I was like, okay, I, wow, I don't feel weird about like this is fine. Like I I'm okay with this, but I was like. Am I, you know, but sometimes if if someone comes over, I'm like, get out of my space. Because that's probably not the person you want to be with. Yeah. You know, like if someone feels comfortable in your space, that probably speaks to like the comfort within the relationship. I just don't know. I just feel like now the idea of someone living, like I was like so ready to live with someone and now the idea of living with someone seems wild. Yeah, because you're not in a serious relationship anymore. Well, Louisa, I hope that helped. If you want to submit your international questions, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Stick around for my favorite interview of all time with my mommy. Just between us. Hey! Has dealing with stress and trying to get more focused a New Year's resolution you haven't cracked yet or don't really know how to fix? I have a lot of trouble staying focused and I also get super stressed out and I think the not being able to stay focused really dovetails with that. So if there was a way for me to keep my focus that didn't also cause my brain to get so scattered with stress, I would love to be able to fix it. I sometimes can't focus on the task at hand because I'm so busy realizing that there are things I need to do on the Just Between Us Instagram account. So I'll be like fully writing something and all of a sudden my brain will go, (gasps) 
JBU Instagram, have to post on social media. Truvega is a handheld product that stimulates the vagus nerve to improve overall health and wellness. Stimulating the vagus nerve with Truvega helps to balance and strengthen the nervous system, which reduces stress, increases focus, improves mood, and improves sleep. Truvega is owned by Electricor and uses its patented technology for overall health and wellness benefits. Its utilized technology is the most clinically studied and tested vagus nerve therapy available. Customizable sessions are only two minutes long. Recommended usage is one session in the morning and one at night. Truvega comes programmed with 350 sessions, which if used twice a day will last approximately six months. It's drug-free and easy-to-use therapy to help improve your health. No app or phone is required. We offer free standard shipping, payment plan options, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. It's only available in the U.S. at this time. Visit Truvega.com, T-R-U-V-A-G-A.com, and enter promo code Just Between Us to enhance your wellness journey, support this podcast, and receive $15 off. That's T-R-U-V-A-G-A.com. Check out promo code Just Between Us. Just between us, it's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions. Today, uh, I have the honor of having my personal favorite guest so far on the show. She's gave birth to Allison, married to Ken, photographer. Photographs have been shown in galleries and museums in New York and Connecticut. My mother, Ruth Raskin. Hi. Woo! Can I say that she's my mother-in-law? Sure. Of course. Okay, well, she's my mother-in-law as well, and I just want the people to know that. I feel like she's more like your adopted mother. I like to say mother-in-law just because I think it confuses people. So, uh, for clarity's sake, uh, this part of the podcast, Gabby is recording from a car in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay, so, Mom, uh, I know you're nervous to be on. Yeah. <laughs> and that I sort of forced Why? you to be here. This isn't something I have ever done, but I'm willing to give it a try. You're going to be great. All right. Let's give it a go. Uh, so I want to – we've been talking a lot about um, – because I do a lot of mental health advocacy, and you've been talking to me a lot about the need to do advocacy for children with mental illness. Correct. Because that was something that you, as a parent, experienced. Right. Because you woke up one morning sick and – we had never experienced anything like that, and I think a lot of people hadn't. And whether it comes on slowly or quickly, I think people don't understand that children can be mentally ill. And they're just like, it's a growth thing, it's a mood thing. But no, children can be sick in many different ways, including having struggles with their mental health. And I think parents really need to know that so they can get out there and get help as quickly and as effectively as possible. So, like, can we start at the beginning? Like, what happened with Allison? Uh, like, what what was the trajectory for people who maybe are just tuning in and they don't really know the whole story? Um, well, hers was unusual in that she basically was fine. She had a cold, but she was fine. She woke up one morning, and she had full-blown obsessive-compulsive disorder and depression. Woo! And how old was I? Four and a half years old. And all of a sudden, she just wouldn't touch anything, wouldn't sit down on the floor, wouldn't... I mean, it's just... She was a mess, and she knew something was wrong, and that depressed her. And we had her... I had her at a doctor... 
because she wasn't feeling well. And I mentioned that something crazy was going on here. And he said, let's see what happens. And if this doesn't clear up, I'll get you the name of somebody to see. Two days later, I called back and I said, this is a problem. And he gave me the name of a wonderful child psychiatrist. I was there the next day. So basically, within a couple of days, she was at, you know, seeing a mental health professional. Um, How did you know to do that? There was just something so very wrong. And so maybe for me, it was easier because, like, you had just, you were just a completely different person than you were. Yeah. For other people, maybe this child has always struggled or the struggles are getting worse, so it's not as clear cut. And I can, I can understand that maybe it's not that easy. But if you see your child is, you know, at a level where they're not able to function mm-hmm. at the level they should be functioning, they are depressed, they are anxious, they won't touch things, they won't hug their parent. They're tr- you were trying to kill yourself. You were lying down in the road so that a car would run over you. I mean, if, if parents see anything like this, you can't go, ah, oh, it's a bad day, or it's, oh, he, you know, Susie is just anxious. When your child is unable to function, you've got to, you've got to seek help. What was that like for you? It was horrifying, but it was, you know, when you're a parent, like, you know, your kid breaks an arm, you take them to the ER. It was like, okay, let's deal with this. We have a problem. Let's, and we were lucky that we had the resources to do it. Mm-hmm. And for other parents, it wouldn't be as easy. Um, and that's why I think we need to advocate and get out there so that the resources are available to everybody. And it should never be a matter of education or money or, you know, we need to have, we just need to have people looking out for our children. What was Allison like before? And I know, like, I've talked with um, parents of, of kids with, uh, who start develop autism, and it's sort of this mourning period. Did you feel like you were kind of mourning what you thought Allison was going to be like? Like mourning the, the person she had been? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, and I was, I was petrified. I mean, the lowest moment of my life was she was upset. She was in the throes of this, and I tried to hug her. And she just yelled, don't touch me, and ran off. And I just broke down because I just didn't know what her life would be for this this poor child who couldn't even be touched by her mom. And I just I just had that moment of of such deep sorrow because I I didn't know if she could ever lead a normal life. But you know, through a lot of years of work and help, and um, and she struggled hard. I think I think she's leading like her best possible life now, and I'm so proud of her. Mom, <laughs> why wouldn't I let you touch me? Because I thought you were contaminated. Exactly. Yeah. So it's one thing not to be able to pick up a crayon that's touched the floor, yeah. but another thing that you can't even let your mom give you a hug. Did you, you went to like a support group for parents with kids with OCD, right? Uh, for for ch- It wasn't or- just OCD, but yeah, children with mental health issues. And the funny thing was, I, I went for a while, but then that took me away from you. And I was like, at that point, I was like, for me, I needed to spend that time with you as opposed to spend it talking, you know, but I think every parent has to find what works for them and what's best for them personally and their child. And, and it's definitely helped. You know, I did it for a little while, not for that long, because it was during an inconvenient time when I needed to spend the time with you. Yeah. So. So for... I. 
for me as a kid, therapy was not an option. It was a oh yeah. I, I was forced to go. Well, at four, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I probably didn't want to go, did I? Of course not. And so I think that I think that that's important that that can be mandatory for children and should be mandatory for some children. Oh yeah, I mean, just like you know, you're going to say, well, you have to. You know, you're sick and you have to take your antibiotic. You know, it was the same. You know, you had to do this. Uh, How did it change the dynamic within the family? It was probably hardest on your sister. Yeah. Um, It was hard for her to have a sister who was weird. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you did a lot of strange things. You said a lot of strange things. You acted in a strange way. Like what? Um, You would always be like, is it okay? Is it okay? Is it okay? You would, I still do that. <laughs> you would, you would, you know, you're not necessarily a baseball player, but third base coaches like do all this weird stuff to give, like hand signals. Hand signals. You would do things like that, you know. Um, and you know, your sister was a popular kid who liked to have her friends over, and I think you were probably embarrassing. And so, you know, she was resentful, and um, that makes sense, you know. She was a kid herself, and she didn't understand why, you know, her own sister was so bizarre. Yeah. What was it like, my different, like, phases? Like, because, you know, as I got older, you know, like, it's like, how much should a parent interfere? But you almost pulled me out of high school, right? I did bring you home for a few days. At that point, you were at boarding school, and you had sort of, you know, fallen off the wagon. I brought you home, gave and And fortunately, your sort of guidance counselor there, I can't remember what term it was, but she knew. And, you know, I brought you home, got you sort of settled. We got you back on medication. Um, and then I went back and I sort of moved into that town for a little while. <laughs> so you, you did? Yeah, we stayed at a hotel and you went to school as like a day student for a bit. For how long? A few days until you were sort of back acclimated again. Oh, my God, I don't remember that. Yeah. That's so crazy. So you thought that I would never be normal? I don't predict the future. Yeah. I mean, at that one moment I discussed, I feared that. Yeah. Um, and then everything, you know, life has continued to have its ups and downs with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's good times and there's bad times. But I think right now you're taking care of yourself better than you have in the past. Yeah. Which is a really good sign. So you told me that, like in elementary school, you didn't tell my teachers what I had. Right. And what was the reasoning behind that? I, this was 25 years ago. I don't think the issues were as understood. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know that the resources were in place to deal with it effectively. I guess I didn't want you defined by it. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I should have trusted them more. I don't think so. My sister had ADHD and there was a whole thing where like they put her on a list of bad kids. They just didn't have the resources or the knowledge to like deal with kids with mental illness. That's they really weren't. And I and you were so you were such a good student. And I didn't want, if possible, for this to come in the way of you, you know, your academic career, you know, because I was always high functioning in school. Yes. You would fall apart at home. You did pretty well at school. And so I would save all of that breakdown for you. Correct. <laughs> yep. 
But when I was 12, so I was on meds from 4 to 12. Right. And then why did I go off of meds at 12? I, I can't say I remember. I guess you were doing well enough. And at that point, we wanted to see how you do. And, mm-hmm. and you did well. Um, you did well for a number of years. And then 18, back on the meds. Ruth, I wanted to ask just like, how does this take over your life? Because when you go in and you're a parent, I guess you have certain expectations of what your kid, like what it's going to be like to be a parent. And I know that you were, you weren't working or you were working from home, right? Right. So is that the kind of thing where you, you go, okay, I can focus a hundred percent on this. Or is it like, I didn't expect to have to focus a hundred percent on this. I guess, like I said, I don't really ever pretend to predict the future. I kind of like, well, it's, you know, I didn't say, I don't have a life plan. I still don't, (laughs) you know. Um, I just more take it day by day. And I'm sort of a practical person. And so I do, I I hope, I try anyway, to do what I have to do when I have to do it. So I didn't have a big plan that this interrupted or anything, you know, I I kind of did what I had to do. And like I said, once again, I'm, I'm grateful I had the resources mm-hmm. to do that. Um, I was a stay-at-home mom when she got sick. I had been working, you know, earlier, but maybe I would have gone back to work um, if she hadn't been. T- I don't know. Who knows what would have happened? As it was, I was fortunate that I was able to stay home and, you know, continue to be there for both my girls because, you know, it wasn't easy. Why do you think people are in such denial as parents? Like, why do you think that it takes them so long to get their kids um, help if they have a behavioral or mental illness problem? Because, like, you know, they just take forever to do something about it. There's such denial. Well, I think that 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 just is a personality thing, maybe, I think, for a lot of parents. And it's not not necessarily mental health. That just may be one thing. Parents are frequently in denial about their kids. It's just a human trait, you know? Maybe you don't want to really see what's going on. I think it can just be as simple as that. Allison. Yeah. How do you feel when you hear your mom say the stuff that you did to her? Because I know sometimes you don't remember a lot of it, but like, you know, I think my sister had a lot of these problems. My parents didn't do a lot to to take care of it or they didn't do as much as your mom did. How do you feel when you hear your mom say what you did to her? Oh, it's terrible. Oh, but wait a minute, Gabby. I, I, she didn't do it to me. See, I, she, never, she never directed that to me. This was her struggle. I was just her mom trying to help her overcome it. So it was, and I hope I've never conveyed, oh, what you did to me. Because no. you never, it was. No, you guys have never made me feel guilty about yeah. it at all. But I, did ne- I never knew that you would have maybe gone back to work if I hadn't. Maybe, maybe sick. not. I don't know. I know, but that's that's hard to hear. I feel bad about that. Oh, don't. I never loved working. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I started a new career. I could work from home. That's true. So that worked out. No, it's just, I mean, it's just heartbreaking because I, I don't, I've, I've blocked out a lot of my childhood, but, you know, I don't think that you have. <laughs> like, I think that, you know, you and dad have to carry these memories that, like, I don't have to carry around because I don't remember them. Yeah, but, you know, that's part of being a parent. You know, don't worry about it. Your sister gave us, you know, she was a teenager, a difficult teenager. And that's just being a parent. So don't worry about it. You know, like a lot of other parents would be really resentful or would be really like you're saying it as if you just did what you would what anybody would do. And I don't think that's true. 
I, I can't speak for anyone else. I know I that's know. not true. I have I have said this countless times, but I I sincerely feel like if I had pretty much any other set of parents, I wouldn't be alive right now. I don't think I would. Do you think I would? Like if I had some, if I didn't have people who are managing we, we it, strug- and we struggled hard to, <laughs> to keep you safe. And also because of the connection that we had, it was something I couldn't do to you. Good. Like you, ins- <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you made it very clear that like that, that would ruin lives and mm-hmm. that that wasn't. Well, that was not know, on the table for me at all. You, you knew you were loved, very yes. loved. And so, but it, you know, then it was hard because it was like, why am I still so miserable? <laughs> not your fault. You're being so measured, Ruth. Like you're being very, very selfless the way you talk about. I am about- measured. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you're being like very like practical and, and selfless about it where it's sort of just like, you know, you have a kid and then that's the way things are. But speaking as a queer person, like you see a lot of people where like their child is gay or their child transitions and the parents are like, well, this is not what I imagined this would be. This is not what I signed up for. Oh, but you see, remember I said, I never imagined. I just, I just take it as it comes. I don't imagine that it's going to be anyway. Let's see what the day brings. Let's see what my kids are. (laughs) That's just sort of who I am. When can you tell that my mental health is deteriorating? Are there, are there signs and signals to you? Uh, It's pretty clear. (laughs) (laughs) And usually at this point, something kind of precipitates it. I think each time is different. But, you know, if you know somebody well. To me, it just feels like there becomes a lot of black and white thinking, which I relate to, too. I do as well. But I think, like, when Allison's starting to deteriorate, it becomes very, uh, this is the way it is, and this is the way it has to be. And there's, like, starts to be less and less gray area. Right, right. And her catastrophic thinking, really kicks in where she can't envision that things are going to be okay i feel past all of that like i think i have a handle on all of that to me what will still come out is ocd stuff oh yeah like that i'm still have not uh mastered no you clorox wiped the cart today before we (laughs) we got in it (laughs) because i had i had been in her car yesterday she picked me up at lax and then today, because I had been on an airplane, she Clorox wiped her car. Do you feel like you can predict what she's going to do OCD-wise? Because sometimes it's like totally much. fine. And then You didn't know I was going to Clorox wipe the car. But I wasn't surprised you did. <laughs> <laughs> when, I was, when I left a wig hair on your table and you were like flipping out about the wig hair, I was like, well, that's a new one. I have good days and I have bad days. And I just don't know what day I'll have. <laughs> So some things are always bad. So airplanes are always bad for me. Like you have to completely like detox and like get clean. And like, you know, you, like my parents showed up yesterday and I didn't let them sit on any furniture. But like you sat down on my banquet and I didn't, I haven't cleaned it yet. Oh, so that's pretty good. That's good. But then dad was in my room walking around and he like his shirt brushed the ironing board. And I was like, no. Ruth, are you like a cleanly person? How do you have a house with a child who's like that? I would say I'm in the middle. My house has never been particularly dirty. So what do you do? (laughs) Good question. You cope. I mean, when she's at my house. But she's also not like a really clean person. She leaves her crap all over the place. I'm not neat. I'm clean. 
Ah, okay. So that's I'll have things out, but they'll be clean. Uh huh. I'm more worried about the germs than the clutter. But I'm saying, when she's a teenager, do you just redo how you do things? Oh no, 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 no! I don't give into that. If she wants to clean something, fine. I'm not going to do it. Well, that was a whole part of it, right? It was like, like enabling. Right. I wasn't going to. So, like, yeah. What were things that therapists told you over the years to help with me? Um, I got a dog. We got a dog. Yes. That, that was, was that was the big thing. Get a dog because then she'll have to get dirty. And you loved your dog, and that was fine. And now you have a dog, and you're fine. And I I got sugar a lot for the same reason. Right. It's helped me tremendously. Because yeah. before I had sugar, I've always loved dogs, but I couldn't touch other people's dogs. I, like, wouldn't let myself. But now you do. But now I touch dogs on the street all the time. Um, I have a question, Ruth, and I know that I, there's been a slight uh, moratorium on speaking about Jocelyn on this show. Um, but, but I was wondering, like, cause I think I, I watch a lot of documentaries or like I've seen, you know, as an older, I was the older sibling and my sister would arguably be the more difficult child. How do you navigate? Like you have two kids, you know, like, how do you navigate ex- explaining to one that like the other one just has different needs or. Well, I did. I, I basically sat Jocelyn down one time, although unfortunately she doesn't remember this. And I said, I know we're spending a lot of time on Allison. I said, but she's sick. And I want you to know that if it were you, we would be doing the same thing for you. Um, And that was like all I could do was just let her know that, you know, we had to do this for Allison, but obviously, you know, we loved her just as much and she would get whatever she needed as well. And she doesn't remember that? She does. I asked her once and she didn't remember I told her that. And I figure maybe I should have told her more than once. And that I regret. I wish I had really sort of made more of a point of that. For my OCD, there's, there's the cleanliness part and then there's the reassurance part. And what has been harder for you to, to deal with? The reassurance. Really? Yeah, because you need a lot of reassurance. And I just don't know... I, I I still don't know when to just say, figure it out, or I'm not going to discuss that. I I still struggle with that. Have I gotten better? <laughs> Do you want reassurance on that? <laughs> <laughs> I think I've gotten better. Yes, but only a percentage. There's still a, a strong component of that. Yeah, I think the reassurance part was a part I didn't realize was part of OCD at all. I had no idea that so much of it was just going, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. It's, it's, it, it is strange. There's a lot of components to it, I think. And I, I've, throughout the years, have had things that I didn't know were tied to OCD until my therapist told me. I was just like, oh, this is how I behave. <laughs> so what things did she tell you? Like, I didn't know about the reassurance thing until later and just, cer- just certain stuff and behaviors. And like that, you know, that I needed to always feel productive and always be working and all of that. But I feel very different than I have ever felt before through this round of meds and therapy, like in the last couple of years. I feel like a completely different person. I don't know if if you guys can tell. (laughs) I can. You can? Yeah. What have you noticed is different about Allison now? Maybe self-confidence. And that she's taking better care of herself. 
What have you noticed? I think um, calmer. Like, way more chill, not so catastrophizing. I feel very stable. Yeah, and, like, I mean, you definitely, little things will come out where I don't realize. I mean, but that also might just be me being thoughtless. But, like, little things where I'll be like, oh, I didn't realize that that was something that uh, would irritate you. But here we are. And it'll be, like, something small. It was so funny the other day where I was, because I kept reading you the email. And then you were like, honestly, I'm irritated that you keep reading this email when I don't want to. And I said I would talk to you about it afterwards. And I was like, oh. That wasn't my OCD. That was just you not listening to me. Oh, I felt like you had started focusing on one thing and you were like, I can't. I'm not going to split my attention. I think it's more productive to be that way. I think that that's what makes me anxious and spiral is if I try to tackle too many things at once. So if like while I'm recording a podcast, I'm worried about responding to an email. That's like where it gets dangerous. And like I so I instead I'm like, I'm going to do the podcast, then I'll deal with the email, which is a big difference for me. I have just one final question. What was the conversation with dad about putting a four year old on Prozac? Um, Okay, so this was very new. uh, The idea of putting a child on medication, but because you were also suicidal, We knew we had to do something. And once again, I have to thank our resources. Our psychiatrist, who was like the head of child psychiatry at a children's hospital, said, you know, this is very new. There's an expert at Johns Hopkins. I'd like you to go see him first. Um, And we, what we did, you know, we piled into the car. We went down there and did a family road trip to Johns Hopkins. In Baltimore. To Baltimore. And we... We went to the doctor. We got his advice as to what dosage you should be on. And then we went to the aquarium. You know? So <laughs> that's sort of how it was. You know, you still try to make it like a family thing. You know, Jocelyn was along with us and we made it like a week, you know, a little vacation. But you went to see the expert before we put you on the medicine. I always knew when I was going to doctors and when I was in therapy and everything, like what the purpose was. Yeah. Like there was no trickery. No. Do you remember being like, oh, I'm sick. I have to go to all these doctors. I don't remember at four. I remember like older and not wanting to go and like getting sick of certain therapists and having to switch therapists. And I remember in the ninth grade, there was a boy in my class and I was like, oh, your dad was my therapist. I've been in your house. So the psychiatrist that my mom keeps talking about, her son also went to my school. So I would like see her at pickup. (laughs) So stuff like that's weird because it's just a constant reminder that like you have this kind of secret life or the second life. Well, you knew from seeing Jocelyn, like you knew that you had something different than other kids, maybe it like other than someone who maybe didn't have a sibling. Were you upset about that? Were you like resentful? Yeah, that was half of it was that I was so pissed that I had something wrong with me, right? Maybe. I don't know. At that time, you weren't articulating it. It's sort of controversial, the idea of putting children on meds. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you how do you respond to that? Uh, Well, remember, this was 25 years ago. We were in a crisis. We we had a real crisis on our hands Um, and it helped. It definitely helped. So I I don't regret that decision. I think. Later, if we had known more, then she switched meds and had problems with that. I wish I had realized the difference in the meds and could have gone back to the doctor and said, she's not doing as well on this medication. Um, sometimes I didn't realize it till she was off that medication. So 
But I don't regret putting her on the meds at four and a half. I think it saved her life. I agree. Before we dive into your favorite game, hypotheticals, <laughs> my mom's dreading it. I'm petrified. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any anything else on on the subject or any advice to, to parents or... Um, just, just look out for your kids. Look out, you know, you look out for their, you know, make sure that they're fed and that they're getting a good education. Just, just also check in on their mental health. And if you think something's wrong, it's okay to, to look into it and to just take care of the whole child. The idea of child suicide is so intense. And like, I know a lot of like, people are always shocked when there's news stories about like nine-year-olds killing themselves or like, I mean, I remember the first time that I felt suicidal was in the fourth grade. And that, like, is really shocking to people. Like, as a parent, I think a lot of the problem comes from parents being in denial that that's a thing that could happen. Were you sort of like, wow, that's really uh, a lot that, like, a four-year-old knows enough to, like, want to die? Or were you just like... I didn't have an easy childhood. Um, I remember my childhood is mostly painful. Um you know, so I understand. I don't. I never bought into this, you know, idyllic childhood thing. Um, so for me, that was not a stretch at all. And mm-hmm. I saw it. I saw it was palpable. She wanted to die. You believed oh, it. Oh, yeah. I'd vocalize it? Yeah, absolutely. What would I say? Well, you knew you were sick. You said, there's, there's something inside me that's making me sad. You, you said, I need to see a doctor. There's something inside me that's making me sad. And then you would say, I want to die. And you'd lie down in the road. <laughs> um, and the, the psychiatrist gave us an ultimatum. She's like, you either watch her 24-7 or I have to hospitalize her. And we watched her 24-7. What did that look like to, to be on suicide watch for like a five-year-old. It's you do what you have to do. I just. Didn't. I was just with you all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like it's so weird because I'm like I'm crying, but I'm like not crying for me. I'm like crying for you. Don't. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> really don't. That's how I feel too, Allison. Like, I mean, I'm I'm sad for you absolutely because I I the idea of like a little tiny Allison wanting to die is heartbreaking, and also your mom, it's heartbreaking. But all parents face stuff. We really do. And if you talk to anybody, there's everybody goes through stuff. Um, and now we're just making my stuff public. But <laughs> I, I, I don't doubt that everybody struggles, you know, to raise their children. Did it put a strain on your marriage at all? No. Dad and I were always on the same page. I was very lucky with that, too. We, we did what we had to do. And we're very proud of you now. And we've <laughs> always been proud of you. I don't think you guys are giving yourselves enough credit. Well, she never does. She's very modest. Whoo! Okay. I knew this would be an interesting episode. <laughs> um, are you ready to play hypotheticals? I'm scareder of this <laughs> than of what we just went through. <laughs> okay. Our first game. Is this a date? Your dentist chats with you for 20 minutes without their hands in your mouth. Is this a date? What are you chatting about? Just like your life, but they're not even, you know, normally they chat with you while they're working on you. And this is just a chat. About what? Uh, about your love life. Oh, that's creepy. That is creepy. Are they single? Uh, they're newly divorced. Yeah, they're hitting on you. It, I think it is a date because they give you flowers at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dentist always gave 
gave us like toys and stuff, does that mean I was dating my dentist when I was in high school? Well, I think you should merely reassess that because maybe you were. And I had a dentist in high school who gave us like candy. What's that about? <laughs> they were all hitting on you. <laughs> Mine was just looking for more business. Right, exactly. Okay, so you're now both of you are dating your dentists, and we'll move on to the next game. <laughs> I'm dating Uncle Brian? <laughs> yeah. Okay, our next game. Is this person an alien or just rude? You're six months pregnant, and your mother-in-law asks if she can check on the baby. And then proceeds to suck on your stomach for five minutes before proclaiming it's healthy. <laughs> when you question this technique, she claims to have read about it on Goop. Is this person an alien or just rude? Sounds like a mother-in-law to me. <laughs> you think just rude? She's su actively sucking on your stomach for five minutes. Well, Gabby, since you consider me your mother-in-law, would you let me suck on your stomach? <laughs> <laughs> so, must be an alien. In this case, she is just rude because Goop says a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> Our final uh, uh, hypothetical is somewhat on theme, but the opposite. Uh, are you a terrible parent? Uh-oh. Your child asks if they can have a play date with another kid in their class, but when you call to schedule it, the other kid's parent says their kid hates your kid. So instead of telling the truth, you ground your child for insubordination and say they're not allowed to have any more playdates. Are you a terrible parent? Yes. <laughs> Why? Well, I wouldn't schedule the playdate, but I'd probably lie as to why it didn't happen. So and you not, would lie? I would lie, but I wouldn't ground my own child. <laughs> what lie would you tell? That uh, we couldn't come up with the right with a time to do it. Do you remember that time I went on a play date with the wrong person? Oh, my God. <laughs> Tell that story. She went away for like a Girl Scout weekend, and she had a great time, and she made good friends with a girl named Emily, and she wanted a play date with Emily. We were going to go to a movie. She wanted to invite Emily. So I said, Emily, so-and-so, and she said, yes. So I call, make the play date. We pick up <laughs> Emily. We go to the movie, come back. Allison goes, that was the wrong Emily. <laughs> I didn't mention it the whole time. That was nope. pretty polite. That was so polite. How many times do you think that Emily has gotten to hang out with people on the back of the other Emily? Just probably that one time. I would think so. She's like, I'm so popular, but it's not even her. Well, this just proves that I, to this day, I don't know anyone's last name. And sometimes you don't know their first name. Yeah, I don't know their first name a lot, too. I have a problem with names. Yeah. Well, there you go. Mom, thank you so very much for coming on the show. I can't thank you enough. You were wonderful. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks, Gabby. Have a great time in Memphis. Oh, thank you so much. You're such a good mom, Ruth. I appreciate it. Thank you for all the gifts that you get me and all the calls and texts. Oh, thanks. And thanks for being such a great friend to Allison. It means a lot to me. Do you pay your monthly stipend? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Stick around after the break. We're going to be talking about weddings. And if you want to find my mom, at Ruth Raskin. What's your photography website? RuthRaskin.com. Buy one of my mom's photos today. Has dealing with stress and trying to get more focused a New Year's resolution you haven't cracked yet or don't really know how to fix? I have a lot of trouble staying focused and I also get super stressed out and I think that not being able to stay focused really dovetails with that. 
So if there was a way for me to keep my focus that didn't also cause my brain to get so scattered with stress, I would love to be able to fix it. I sometimes can't focus on the task at hand because I'm so busy realizing that there are things I need to do on the Just Between Us Instagram account. So I'll be like fully writing something and all of a sudden my brain will go, JBU Instagram, have to post on social media. Truvega is a handheld product that stimulates the vagus nerve to improve overall health and wellness. Stimulating the vagus nerve with Truvega helps to balance and strengthen the nervous system, which reduces stress, increases focus, improves mood, and improves sleep. Truvega is owned by Electricore and uses its patented technology for overall health and wellness benefits. Its utilized technology is the most clinically studied and tested vagus nerve therapy available. Customizable sessions are only two minutes long. Recommended usage is one session in the morning and one at night. Truvega comes programmed with 350 sessions, which if used twice a day will last approximately six months. It's drug-free and easy-to-use therapy to help improve your health. No app or phone is required. We offer free standard shipping, payment plan options, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. It's only available in the U.S. at this time. Visit Truvega.com, T-R-U-V-A-G-A.com, and enter promo code Just Between Us to enhance your wellness journey, support this podcast, and receive $15 off. That's T-R-U-V-A-G-A.com. Check out promo code Just Between Us. Just between us, it's time for topics. X X X X X X X X X X. This episode will be talking about W E D D I N G S. You pointed at me as if I would join you in this. I know, but you didn't, and I didn't. So I just spelled weddings all by myself. I have so many strong feelings about how you should have a wedding. Other people, other people, and here are my hot tips. Ready? Oh, jeez. Okay. Think about the temperature. Oh okay. my God! Please, no outdoor weddings. No outdoor weddings outdoor are banned. Weddings. They're I'm banned. Sorry. It's too cold. Yeah, it's too hot. My sister. It rains. Just went to a wedding where it was 95 degrees. No, I'm out. It was 95 degrees. Uh uh-uh. uh The ceremony was outside. Yeah. The cocktail hour was outside no, with you're... almost no food. No, you're a sociopath. Goodbye. And then when the lights went down. Termites. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Swarms of termites came and attacked everybody, and it was covering their hair and their skin, and no. they had to pick termites off of themselves. Why would you ever have an outdoor wedding? I don't know. I don't care if you want to be on the goddamn beach where you met. Do it inside. Recreate that beach. Put sand in a ballroom. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. I, I'll, I think that the reason people want to have outdoor weddings is exclusively for the photos. Get a nice chapel with from fucking stained glass. I know, but I will say, obviously, yes. So what will happen is you'll have great photos and horrible memories. Just, it's going to rain. You're tempting it. You're asking for it. Alanis Morissette told you. It will rain on your wedding day. If you're someone who does not care at all about the comfort of your guests or the enjoyment of your guests, elope. (laughs) Do not put people through this. (laughs) People, when it comes to their own weddings, people become, like, they just don't care about other people anymore. It's truly wild. Like, my friend's brother, uh, like, wants to, like, have it somewhere that's, like, hard to get to. No. And, like, wasn't planning on having shuttles. No. And was like, well, they'll figure it out. No. You don't want, like, your wedding to, like, cause your elderly grandparents to, like, be stranded in the middle of nowhere. I don't. Also, destination weddings, go fuck yourself. Or I get it because you don't want people to come. Oh, 
So that's why you do destination wedding, I assume. Yeah. It's because you want a really small wedding. No. But you want uh Here's you the want thing. to at least invite people. No, but if you have a destination wedding, the people you like won't come and the people you hate will go out of their way. Absolutely. Guaranteed. I know. I just also uh it's really important and I cannot stress this enough to have a lot of food. I was about to say this. <laughs> food! I'm hungry. Have some food. I need I need food and I need access to beverages. And bathrooms. Bathrooms, huge. Like, okay. People are not party planners. This is the thing. It's essentially party planning and event planning and people are bad at no, it. No. I go to weddings. I'm sure that they have party planners. <laughs> and these people are just planning the parties poorly. Yeah. You can't. Have your only food option for the cocktail hour cannot be people passing things out on trays. Oh. It causes chaos, okay? <laughs> because if you're at the end of the room where the trays don't come out, you don't get to eat. Mm. So what happens is everybody swarms where the food comes out. And and then like it's a it's a free for all and you're fighting other guests yeah and you're not paying attention to your conversations because you're just like starving and like looking for the waiter with the tiny tray with the tiny appetizer sure you have to have stations <laughs> you have and the to, bar needs to be open the bar needs to be open and you have to have stations and again I understand that people have different budgets get some potato chips. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like put out some M&Ms. Put out, like it doesn't need to be fancy food, but it just needs to be a quantity of food and accessible food. A taco bar. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Another huge thing, good music. Yeah. I think uh I think if you have the money, get a band. Oh, interesting. I love a playlist though. But good bands can play any type of music. But if you don't want to spend money. I said if you have the money. Oh, okay. Like if you can, if you have a budget and the things you have to think about what you should spend money on, food and music. Yes, I don't fully understand a big wedding. Okay, tell me more. <clears throat> I just don't get it. Like I, I, it's such a waste of money to me. I think it's a lot of. Um, it depends on your family and your culture. Yeah. So if you're like Italian, yeah, it, that's just like what's expected, and it's like very rude not to invite. Your entire family. Yeah. My friend Shraddha had a, an Indian wedding that I went to, and it was like, she told me it cost $90,000, the wedding. Mm-hmm. That's bananas. But you had to do all these things. There were all these traditions and all these things you have to do. I think that the thing is, is that there's no have to. Yeah. And so hopefully we're moving away from have to, and it's more like, what do you want? And I'm sure that there's plenty of people out there who want a big wedding. Yeah. I it was interesting because when I was researching my book Bad with Money, where I talked about uh, weddings, available now, available now, where I talked about weddings, I talked to this woman who plans primarily um, gay weddings, queer uh-huh. weddings, and uh, it was so funny my reaction because I'm like, oh, straight people in their fancy weddings, but then as soon as she was like talking about like gay couples flying in on helicopters and shit, I was like, yeah, we've earned this, like <laughs> get fucking th- million dollar cakes, like let's do it. Um, but she also said that. Uh, that gay couples doing, like, um, imaginative things or, like, not staying on tradition has allowed straight couples to do that. Also, I understand, like, um, it was this interesting thing where gay people really wanted to go big and celebrate big because we hadn't been allowed to. And also there was this interview that I heard on um, NPR with Cleve Jones, who was a part of the Harvey Milk's group of activists, gay Uh activists, and... So Cleve Jones was saying because of the AIDS crisis and because of how many gay people died that um, 
we view weddings as like a huge thing because it was something that uh, kept people out of hospitals. So they weren't able to see their partner when they were dying. And also like when the marriage was so important because like families would come in after a partner died and be like, well, you're not their husband. So we're taking all their money. We're taking all their stuff. Like we're, you're, we're kicking you out of the house, all these things. So because it has this like added like historical and like activist weight to it that gay couples are just like fuck it all our dogs are in the wedding and the wedding is on mount everest and like they're just like spending so much money on it (laughs) and also because they're like they're not maybe not gonna this thing of gay guys being like dual income no kids so they have like two male incomes and they're not planning on having children so they're just like every guest gets a ferrari that's great (laughs) i'm gonna go to that wedding i know i and then I, I'll take the cash value of the Ferrari. Yeah, instead. you're like, um, can I just? <laughs> what do you? What's your? What do you want yours to look like? All I know about what I want for my wedding is I don't want it to be too big, and I want to be comfortable. <laughs> okay, like what's my, not too big? Uh, like a hundred. Okay, that's reasonable. Right. Yeah, I don't really want to go over a hundred people. Mm-hmm. I really want um to have a live band. Mm-hmm. I want there to be like a ton of food. Uh, a fun idea that I have is, like, when you go in for the ceremony, there's, like, a cookie and a bottle of water on your seat. Oh, that's great. So, like, immediately, we're drinking water, we're hydrated, we're full. Yeah. And then also maybe a, a tiny joint. Oh, <laughs> weed wedding, weed, weed wedding. Weed wedding. <laughs> well, how would you control who gets the joints? I know everyone gets a tiny joint. <laughs> Even, like, your grandma? Yeah. It'll happen in California. Yeah. I don't know. She can give it away if she doesn't want it. Why is it so okay to everyone's wasted? If, I know. You know? And um, Should have a weed bar. I Like maybe. Like a bud tender. I think that'd be so fun. <gasps> I also want to have a lot of pranks. Oh, okay. So here's what's really important to me oh, when it boy. comes to my wedding. One, um, I don't want to see my uh, future husband at all until I walk down the aisle. Oh, okay. So, like, I really, really hate this tradition of um, doing photos before the ceremony. Mm. So now what people will do is, like, you'll see each other ahead of the ceremony, yeah. and then the photographer will just take, like, a first-look photo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, you're just, like, hanging out together for, like, hours before the actual ceremony. And, yeah. like, that to me, like, takes away all of the magic of that moment. Got it. So I don't want to do I don't want to do any photos or stage photos uh, before the wedding. I honestly don't really want any stage photos. I don't oh. think anyone enjoys that. I think it's a nuisance and it's annoying. And so I like will have a photographer. You want action shots? I want all candids. Got it. And so like there can be some stage stuff of like when you're getting ready, like me and my mom putting on my dress, or like me and the bridesmaids, or like whatever the grooms are up mm-hmm. to. Who cares? Um, and, like, that stuff, but I don't want, like, any, like, and now everyone from mom's side of the family stand awkwardly together Got on it. the grass. Like, I don't, I just want candids. Okay, and so the other thing that leads into the importance of not seeing each other before the ceremony is I also want a venue where there's a door. Okay. Because I've been to a couple weddings where, like, you can see the bride waiting to come oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that sort of, like, takes away yeah. from the magic of it. So he wouldn't even know what your dress looked like? Right. Oh. That's the whole thing. So, like, I want there to be, like, a door that would open. Okay. And then I would come through the door. Got it. Because I'm all about a big reveal. Yeah, yeah. This is a lot of reveals. I'm into storytelling. Yeah. You know, you well, can't take away all the stakes. What are you going to make us wear? 
Uh, whatever you want. What? I'm going to do like, uh, I, I imagine, also, way to assume you're in the wedding party. Are you joking? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even invited to the wedding. I find out about it on Instagram. Oh my god! Can you imagine? Would you ever speak to me again? Um, I don't know. I'd probably be like, "Why?" You know what I mean? I I think what I'll probably do is pick navy as the color because I think oh, yeah, you navy love looks navy. good on everybody, mm-hmm. and then everyone can wear whatever they want. Like within the like within the formal realm. Got it. Like, got like it. You can wear a navy suit, or okay. like people can wear whatever navy dress feels right on their body. Like I'm not forcing a look on anybody. Yeah, that's really important. I've seen that more and more. Because it's like everyone has different body types and preferences. Yeah. What about this thing now where people don't have bridesmaids? <laughs> oh, my God. Because you love a ranking. I love ranking my friends. And yeah. I love I love making people feel special and chosen. <laughs> oh, wow. But what about people who aren't chosen? I don't have that many friends. Yeah, so okay. So probably almost all my good friends will be in the wedding party. Oh, cool. Or, like, I have one friend who I know fucking hates weddings, so I'm not going to make her bridesmaid because I know that she'd hate it. Yeah. Yeah, me and my one friend would always say that you should make the people you hate your bridesmaids because they have to spend so much money and it's awful. Well, my goal is to potentially, ideally, be able to, like, pay for the shit that normally bridesmaids pay for. Oh, interesting. Like, I would ideally want, like, some of the budget of the wedding, I would want to go into the bachelorette party mm-hmm. and like so I'm not asking my friends to pay money. Yeah. Or, or, like, or like give a stipend to be like, hey, I'll cover up to 200 bucks for a wedding dress. Yes. Or like a bridesmaid dress you, or if suit. You can, yeah, if you can pick your own dress then it doesn't have to be like, here's this $300 dress no, no, you no. need to get. My ideal is to like actually be able to like hopefully cover some of that. That's lovely. Thank you. We'll I see. just, <laughs> I just am like, God, they're so expensive, and it makes me think about down payments on houses, <laughs> right? And I get really like, I don't know. I understand, like, definitely, some weddings I've been to have been really fucking cool. Yeah, and like, I get that. Um, but I just don't, I just don't know if that's if that's my jam. It doesn't have to be. Um, that's the whole thing is like, do what feels right to you and I think if you're someone who like wants a, a big wedding and people are making you feel guilty about like not using it you know in some other way like, yeah just do like if you're financially able to do it and like just do what you want to do and that can mean a super small wedding and saving the money mm. another cool thing to do is instead of having a registry is to just ask for um, money oh yeah I've had some friends of mine who are rich just do donations. Just oh, donate really? to these charities. Please. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I had I do want to sing a duet of Islands in the Stream by Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers, though, at my wedding. And I do need to sing the Kenny Rogers part. I've so- never heard this before. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I've said this to multiple people I've dated. So you want to perform at your own wedding. Yeah, you better learn Islands in the Stream by Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers. And then you better learn the Dolly Parton part. I don't care what gender you are. And I will be singing Kenny Rogers. A thing that I have been toying with and that I don't know if, like, my future partner would allow is uh, I kind of want to be married by my dad. Oh, my God. That's so sweet. (laughs) Wouldn't that be so fun? That's really nice. I think he would love it. I think it would, like, me seem be so much more meaningful than someone I don't know doing it. You're not going to let me officiate your wedding? Right, so if I let a, if I let a friend do it, I, it won't feel like official enough to me. Like I, you know how much I love a position of power. I'm official and authority, and I love authority. And so oh, you're really bypassing my ask here. I couldn't. If you married me, I wouldn't feel married. Wow. Even if you had the credentials, I would feel like it was a, a fake wedding. 
No well, offense. What sucks is me and your dad will be performing Islands in the Stream by Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers at your wedding. So, wow. Melissa, come on in and tell us about your wedding fantasies. Oh, boy. So, what do we think? I'm going to say 4.86 wedding bills. Oh, okay. Not our highest rating. But, I'm going uh, to guess that's because the topic of weddings doesn't tickle your fancy. <laughs> I think weddings are silly. They're dumb, right? They're so dumb to me. Yeah. And so, like, everything you guys were, like, saying, I want, like, the opposite of that. So tell us. What's that mean? An outdoor wedding. (gasps) What? But I want it to be, like, ridiculous. Like, I want to be dressed, like, fully in my wedding dress, my husband in his tux, but I want everyone in swimsuits. Like, (laughs) I want it to be ridiculous, and I want everyone just, like, to be ridiculous. You said you want your dad to officiate your wedding. My mom is actually a minister. I told her she can have no part in being, like, officiating the wedding, (laughs) but she's already state claim. Mom is like, no, you have to, like, be mother of the bride. I don't want both added pressures on you. Let me hit you with this. Okay. I know you want to wear your wedding dress, uh-huh. but what if you were also in a bathing suit I'm gonna, and be... then you slip and slide down the aisle? Oh, I like that. What if the, the dress part like tore off? Like yes. the bottom part a reveal. tore off? And then as we go like walk as out. As you leave, you can yeah. take that. You can yeah. splash down the I aisle. Like that. So you say you hate weddings, but you still think about your wedding and you yeah. still want a wedding. Like, I, I hate traditional weddings, okay. I should say. That makes sense. Yeah. I would love to elope. Okay. Yeah, but I would you be down for that too. too much to no. elope, guys. Yeah. But imagine how much attention you would get if you just posted, we're married. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, and I've oh, said God. that too. I've said that yeah. as well because I know that would freak my mom out. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted, I would do that and then we could have like the wedding. Right. Like later. imagine the but scandal. There's so few times everyone celebrates you. Don't you just want to be celebrated? I celebrate it every day. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I wake up and my celebrate myself. <laughs> yes. Well, I just, I don't know. I just like, I mean, I think I just like uh, uh, shocking people more. Yes. Oh, okay. You know? But that's Surprise. why I'm incorporating pranks into my I wedding. Understand. You can I have understand. both. Uh, what did we learn? Um, I mean, I learned that moving in together is a very personal thing. And it doesn't yes. have to do with, it. Does, it it's something that you have to talk to your partner about and that you have to... Um, really decide. I would almost make a list of like top three reasons we're moving in together. And I think there's no there like in terms of like what's too early or what you know. There's no rules. It's yeah. like you have to figure out what's right for your relationship. Yes, and, and so, also think about like what life stage you're in. Yes, and be honest with yourself about your future and your maturity level. And the re yeah, and like the reasons that you know what is it what does it mean to both of you? Because mm-hmm. sometimes it means different things. Absolutely. Um, like to me, I, it, when I was younger, I was like moving in together is just like, it's just a thing that you do. But, but now I would be like, well, I think it's more of a promise. Yeah. But I didn't really, but like a promise to what? Oh, I don't know anything. I hate, I hate, I'm so, romance is eluding me right now. Um, <laughs> I rate this episode, I rate it, uh, uh, 10 out of 10 moms. Oh, Aww. lovely. You, yes, lovely. I'm, I'm such a Ruth fan. I love Ruth. I text her like happy birthday and stuff. She has adopted me in a way that other other mothers have not. Yeah, she considers you part of our family. I'm the daughter-in-law. You're another daughter. Okay, <laughs> whatever. I first became acquainted with her on your channel where you do like, is this heavy or light? Oh, is yeah. That? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And heavy so, or light? Yeah. 
a classic. Delightful. Uh, yes, that's where her true her true light shines through. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much to my mother, my idol, my true best friend, Ruth Raskin, for being a guest on the show. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Melissa D. Motz. And our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. Love you, Mom. Love you to my mom. She wasn't on the show, but hello, Karen. Stitcher.